Well, again, a, a big welcome to all of you who are first-time guests this morning. If you're new to Revolution, we like to go through books of the Bible. We like to teach it the way it's laid out in Scripture, and we've had a fantastic journey through the book of Deuteronomy, which will end next week. So uh, I really would encourage you, if you want to study it on your own, all of these sermons are on our YouTube. Um, they're on our podcast. They're on several platforms. You can, they're easy to find, and you could go through all of them there together. Um, the gospel according to Moses. That may seem like an interesting phrase to you, but we believe, as Jesus said, he's in every book of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about him. So even in the most complicated of books like Deuteronomy, which has been a tough journey, amen? And, uh, but did we not see him, and as you will see him again here today, he's everywhere throughout the scripture. Uh, Ryan Lacqua is our Bible reader this morning, and and so he's going to bring Paul Ryan up here with him. Is he sleeping? Yeah. Okay, so you're going to read the scripture softly. Use this one right here. And he's going to read our scripture. Before you read for us, so would you just share what you're thankful for and maybe what God's doing in your life? Amen. Thank you, Ryan. All right, here you go. Right off the screen there for you, bud. Deuteronomy 33. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Huron. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people, and all his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in, his, followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. When Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob, thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun, when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Uh, let, let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him into his people with your hands uh, contend for him and be be a help against his adversaries and of levi he said give to levi your uh thumen mm -hmm. uh, and your uh urim to your godly one whom you tested at uh, at massa when whom you quarreled at the waters of meribah who said to his father and mother i regard them not he disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance, and accept the work of his hand. Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, and that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved. <clears throat> the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed by the Lord be his land, with the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that crouches beneath, with the choicest fruits, the sun and the, and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills. With the best gifts of the earth in its fullness, in the favor of him who dwells in the bush, 
may these rest on the heads of Joseph in the uh, in the pate is that right? Mm-hmm. On the pate of him who is prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull, he has a majesty, and his horns are are the horns of the wild ox. With them he shall gore the people and all of them to the end of the earth. They are then ten thousand of Ephraim, and they are the ten thousand of Manasseh. And of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, and you and you're going out and um, Issachar in your tents. They shall call peoples to their mount to their mountain. There they uh, offer right they offer right sacrifices for they drawn from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. And of and of Gad he said, Blessed be he who in, who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion, he tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself, for there are uh, commander's portions portions was reserved, and he came with the heads of the people. With Israel, he executed the, the justice of the Lord and the judgment for Israel. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Basham. And of uh, Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess, possesses and Possesses the lake in the south. Uh, and of Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons of Asher, let him be the favorite of his brothers, and let him dip his foot in oil. Your bar shall be iron and bronze, and as your days, so shall your strength be. There is none like God of Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and, under, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he trusts... He thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone and in the land of, of grain and wine, whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> And we're thankful for God's word. Man. How many of you were good at like algebra 2 or trigonometry or calculus? How many of you, just go ahead, we'll give you a chance to brag here. You were good at it. Okay, cool, good for you. The rest of us are like, what? (laughs) And, And it's intimidating. But it's no less necessary. We're thankful for people like Patrick who can engineer, you know, refinery plants because he knows these things. And there's some parts of the Bible that are pretty tough. They're like Algebra 2, Calculus, or all those things that I failed or didn't even take. And, uh, and so kind of go with us here through Deuteronomy as we wrap it up, because not all of it is just as uh, plain and simple in your face. And how many of you have seen De- the book of Deuteronomy in a different way since we've gone through it? You're like, wow, this book made no sense to me before, but now it makes lots of sense. So part that in the back of your head. So look at these two homes right here. And I'm going to give you a choice. But it's not just on... The appearance of the house, it is what is inside the house. On the small cottage type house, inside is love, joy, and peace, and a family that loves one another. Inside the other house is chaos and on the verge of divorce and kids who don't appreciate what they've been given. Which house are you choosing? I I, I hope that's a pretty much of a no-brainer. But this is what Moses is basically 
presenting to Israel. You can have love, joy, and peace and a quiet home and enjoy the blessings of God, or you can try to go for more on your own and it will destroy everything you count as precious. So as we look, diagram this chapter, once again we see a chiastic structure. And if you're new here, a chiastic structure is like a sandwich. You've got bread, you've got lettuce and tomato, you've got cheese, you've got meat. The meat is the main part of the sandwich, amen? Sorry, you vegetarians, but the meat is the main part of the sandwich. Then you might have another piece of lettuce and tomato or pickle or something vegetable and more cheese and then bread. So you began with bread, you ended with bread, and you worked your way in with the symmetrical sandwich because you have to make a symmetrical sandwich. You can't put mayonnaise on one slice of bread and on the other. It's just not right. Don't do that. That's sin against God. You've got to make your sandwich even, okay? So anyway, the, the sandwich, the, med- the middle of it. And so God gives us these clues. If you want to know what is the main point of a chapter or a book of the Bible or a section, look for these chaotic structures. They're not everywhere in the Bible, but in every chapter, but they're throughout most of the Bible. And so here, just like everywhere else, it seems like there's another one here. He starts with the blessings with Mo- Moses blessed Israel, and he ends with the word happy, which is also synonymous with what? Blessing. Blessed are you, happy are you. Blesses Israel, happy are they. And then, then he goes through a whole bunch of tribes, and then he puts Joseph right in the middle, then does a bunch of other tribes. And so as I was reading through this chapter, I'm like, wait a minute. He kind of starts off in age order, but then he gets off the age order. Why did he seem to be all random and even leave some things out? And then all of a sudden, so I'm like, ah, chiastic structure. Let's look at it. And sure enough, I did a little research and some other people put up the same thing, that the reason he does a little bit out of order is because he wants you to know that the main point, the main tribe that he's blessing is Joseph. And we'll see why for good reason. So keep that in mind. So we're going to use that as our outline this morning. We're going to talk about the blessing of following Jesus the blessing on each tribe, but then we're going to save Joseph for last as the most important. And again, I just want to remind you, if you have any questions, there's my cell phone number. Feel free to text me. I would even save it right now So um, if you have a question later. So there you go. All right, so let's start with the blessing of following Jesus. Say, wait, Jesus, why? Moses doesn't know anything about Jesus. Yes, he does. He knows all about Jesus, okay? In fact, Hebrews tells us that Moses chose to suffer with his people and the things of Christ rather than to relate with Pharaoh's family, okay? So he knew all about Christ, but anyway, let's talk about what it means to follow Christ and what a blessing it is. He said this is the blessing, which is Moses pronounced this is on him. He's not just saying nice words like, hey, you look nice today. That's a, that's a type of blessing, but he's also prophesying on them and saying, hey, here's what's going to happen to you because you've done these things. Here's what your future holds. And again, what's happening today when Moses is speaking? What's happening to him today? He's dying. In fact, we have a reason to believe this was his birthday and his last day, and this is his last words. But it says that Moses was the man of God. First time in the Bible this phrase is used. And there's what's called in the Bible the, the doctrine of first mention. The first time the Bible says something about something is really important, but I'll talk about that later. Um... So he blessed the people of Israel before his death. So what does it mean to be a man or woman of God like Moses? Moses was the first person in the Bible, and there's been a lot of people living prior to him, right? I mean, millions of people have lived before Moses, but he's the first one to be called a man of God. So what can we learn from Moses as to what a man or woman of God should be like? First of all, 
Numbers 12.3 says that Moses was the most meek or humble man that ever lived. That's not easy to do when you are the most well-known religious man on the planet. Think about that. Islam recognizes Moses. Judaism recognizes Moses. Christianity recognizes Moses. There are the Ten Commandments posted in many courthouses. It used to be every courthouse, but many courthouses all across the country. Moses has changed civilization. We take the Ten Commandments for granted. Do you realize that was a very new thing and a new way of living? Don't commit adultery. What are you talking about? Everybody commits adultery. That's just part of being a man. And Moses says, no, no, that's the way the pagans do it. This is the end of that. We're done with that. And so he introduced a whole lot of new things. The whole idea of don't even covet, don't want what your neighbor has. That's what everybody did and still does. What, what we, where do we get that phrase? Keeping up with the Joneses. It's all about coveting, right? And Moses says, no, no, stop that. Moses changed civilization because he was a very humble man. The Bible the Bible's way of teaching humility means you don't think less of yourself. Oh, I'm nobody. I'm just a loser. Whatever. It's not that at all. It's not that you think less of yourself. It's that you think of yourself less. You're so busy concerned with what everybody else needs and what everybody else is thinking in a good way that how can I serve others? You don't have time to even give yourself a second thought because you're so busy focused outward on others. You've seen that acronym over and over again. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and what do you, who do you put last? Yourself. If you put yourself last and Jesus first and others right behind Jesus, you will experience true joy, and that's what Moses did. Man, he, at one point, think about this. Israel was being su such knuckleheads, complaining and everything. God said, you know what? I'm going to strike them down and pick another nation. I'm just going to start all over. And Moses says, no, Lord, please kill me instead. That's amazing. That, that is just amazing. I mean, we see, you know, unfortunately, we see soldiers dying for America all the time because they love this country. But Israel, <laughs> they griped and complained all the time, and Moses is still willing to die. He was definitely the quintessential man of humility. Um, let's see. Okay, number two. Number two, he stands boldly for truth. Moses, even when everybody else was running away from God, he stood and said, hey, you know, if you don't want to stand for God, I don't care. I am. And you may be in your workplace one of the very few, if not the only Christian, who is speaking out for the Lord. And I don't mean to do it in an idiotic way to where you're judgmental and condemning other people. No, I'm just saying you stand for what's right. You may be the only person in your classroom that stands up and says, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. You may be the only person in your neighborhood or in your family at the family union or wherever you go. You need to stand boldly for the truth. We live in an age right now where if you, when we were growing up, everybody was Christian. And now it, the pendulum swifts the other way. It's like, what, you're a Christian? And we get this skepticism. And will you be like Moses and stand? But not just stand, but stand boldly. Number three, Moses led by serving. In fact, Moses had to be told by his father-in-law, Jethro, hey, you're trying to do too much for this people. You need to delegate, which was a good thing. You need to bring it back in balance. But Moses was constantly doing whatever helped the nation. Instead of saying, hey, I'm the head of this nation. You guys serve me. He was always serving. And the best way for you to show that you are like Moses and more importantly, like Jesus, is to be constantly saying to others, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Serve other people. Is that not what Jesus did? On his last night, he washes the disciples' feet. It's just an amazing example. And number four, 
love the undeserving. Like I mentioned, he was willing to die for gripey, complaining, ungrateful, unthankful Israel. And he loved them anyway. Because you know what he was doing? He was doing exactly what God did for him. You see, that, that's what Christianity is all about, is when we love those who don't love us. And we even love those who can't love us or will never be able to repay any type of kindness. That is what Christianity is about. And we say, well, many times, though, in the world, it's like, well, I'll do for you if you do for me. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, quid pro quo. We have all these trade-offs, and our relationships are based on that. When Jesus teaches us clearly, you love everybody. And you love everybody regardless of whatever they will do. Jesus healed 10 lepers. How many said thanks? One, right? And, and so if you feel like, man, I do all this stuff and nobody even appreciates me. Nobody even thanks me. Well, hello. Welcome to Club Jesus. Okay? That, that's the way it works. And, and get used to it. In fact, I believe the greater is your reward in heaven if, if, if that doesn't happen. Because God's saying, hey, I keep track. Nobody else is noticing. Don't worry about it. I'm keeping track of all your good things. Number five, speaks blessing on others. This whole chapter is about him just speaking blessing on the tribes of Israel. And you know what? That's what you need to do. You need to be outspokenly saying, hey, thank you. I appreciate you. Even if you say, hey, you look nice today. Be careful who you say that to, guys. Anyway, you, I really appreciate your hard work. You definitely need to say that to your wives, guys. You, we need to bless each other with our words. You know, many people are like, well, I just show that I'm loved by what I do. Well, good. I'm glad you're a man of action, but your children need to hear it. Your children need their dad to look them in the eye and say, son, I love you. I'm proud. I'm so glad you're my daughter. We need to verbally express our, our, our blessing on others. And again, that's harder for some of us than others, but we all need to step up. So would other people describe you as a man of God? Would other people describe you as a woman of God? I'm going to let that sit with you for a little while. And if it feels awkwardly uncomfortable, it's okay. <laughs> I want the Holy Spirit to get a chance to speak to you and say, if the answer is, jeez, no, I don't know, let today be the day that changes. Let today be the day that you, we move in that direction. In fact, I want, I want to make this intensely personal, okay, this morning. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read these out loud. Would you do that? I want you to stand, and we're going to read through this together. And this will be our prayer that God, starting today, we would be a man or a woman of God. Let's do, read together the first one. I will choose to be humble. I will stand boldly for truth. I will lead by serving. I will love the undeserving. I will speak blessing on others. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Don't forget that, okay? Go through your day. Verse 3 says, yes, God loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand, so they followed in your foot in your steps, receiving direction from you. Let's take this verse is powerful. Let's take it apart here. He loved his people. How did God love his people? We know in the New Testament it says in Romans, Paul wrote, but God shows his love for his for us in that while we were sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. And Moses knew. At just like he lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so would the Son of Man be lifted up, just like that. And it, it, that would be the source of healing of the nations. God loves us, and he doesn't just say it, which he does say it over and over again, but he demonstrated by the, the greatest act of love the universe has ever known. There's no greater gift of love that's ever been given than Christ on the cross dying for sinners who did not deserve it. 
And then the phrase says, all his holy ones were in his hands. And man, this echoes the words of Jesus. In fact, we know that Deuteronomy is the most quoted book in the Bible. Jesus constantly quoted from Deuteronomy. And I believe here in the New Testament, he's alluding to this passage here when he says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me, how many that the Father gives me? All that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You know what that teaches right there? You know where I'm going, right? Eternal security. Jesus says everybody that comes to him in salvation will surely come to him in eternity. And whoever comes to me, I will never, ever cast out. Yet there's many people teach the Bible, well, you get saved, but then you got to stay good to keep it. Man, <laughs> if you couldn't be good enough to get it, you're not going to be good enough to keep it. Okay? If you could lose your salvation, you'd be losing it every day. Every day. I don't, I don't care. If, if every thought is a sin, boom, you're done, okay? But I'm so thankful that when I came to Jesus, he says, the Father gave me, gave Gary Milborn to Jesus. Guess what? Jesus says, well, you're coming to me to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's the reason the Bible calls it everlasting life, because it lasts forever. <laughs> that's why it calls eternal life. It's not temporary life or until you blow it, okay? And he says, and whoever comes to me, you come to me for salvation, guess what? I'll never, ever cast you out. I don't care what you do. Now, that is not a license to sin. In fact, people who are truly saved use it as a way of showing thanksgiving, that everything you do for Jesus is because you're thankful for your everlasting life. And then he says, in his hand, and I believe Jesus is referring to that in John 10, 20. He says, I give them how, what kind of life? Eternal life, and they will never perish unless they really blow it, right? No, it doesn't say that. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And what's interesting, you read these, all these chapters put together in John. Jesus says, if you're saved, you're in his hands, and Jesus is in the Father's hands. I think you're pretty safe. <laughs> I think you're pretty secure. And it says, we're in his hands. And then he says, so they followed in your steps. Do you see the order here? It's so important. Jesus says, God loved you as a sinner, he put you in his hands, and so, therefore, you follow in his steps. You know what the world religion teaches? You follow in his steps, you get to go to heaven. The Bible says, no, no, no. You get, you get salvation, and then you follow in his steps. What did, what did Moses, when did Moses give Israel the Ten Commandments? While they were in slavery? And did he say, you keep these Ten Commandments, you get out? No. He delivered them, he saved them, and then he gave, says, now that I've saved you and you're my people, you're my children, do these commandments. You see the order? That's so, so important. But the world religion and most Christian religions say, you do good, you'll become a child of God. You follow in his steps, you'll be saved. Now the Bible says you get saved, that's why you follow Jesus. You follow in his steps. This is abundantly clear throughout all of Scripture. This is just one, here's one other place where the gospel is clearly in Deuteronomy. So, here, this is super important. In fact, this has become crystal to me in the last couple of years as I've been listening to different people teach the Bible and learning from them. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the primary source of blessings are the land. You know how, how many times does the Bible say, you'll dwell in the land, you'll dwell in the land, and I'll bless you with this land, the promised land, over and over again. You have the land, you'll have national peace, you know, you'll conquer your enemies, there will be no more war, you'll have wealth, you'll have lots of children, you'll have lots of cattle, etc., 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 and then secondarily, you see people in the Old Testament enjoying love, joy, peace with God. It's there, and they have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. If you ever notice in the Old Testament, it says like Samson, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and then the Holy Spirit left him. 
And then King Saul, the spirit came upon him. Then the spirit left him. In the Old Testament, they do not enjoy the Holy Spirit like we do. Where is the Holy Spirit for the new believer? Is it come upon you? No, it's in you to never leave you. And so we enjoy the Holy Spirit in a whole new way that, that the Old Testament people didn't. They were still saved the same way, but we enjoy the Holy Spirit in a whole new way because of Pentecost. But in the New Testament, you see a total reversal. The primary blessings are love, joy, peace with God, suffering. Suffering is a blessing in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was like, you're gonna, when you're cursed, if you're suffering, it's because you're cursed. But in the New Testament, if you're suffering, you give thanks that you get to be like Jesus. And so, it's, and then secondarily, things like land, national peace, wealth, children, count. Those are, those are secondary blessings. So in the Old Testament, you see Abraham, rich. King David, rich. King Saul, rich. Job, rich. In the New Testament, you see Peter, poor. Paul, prison. James, head cut off. You see the New Testament believers just struggling with widows and orphans, and yet they loved one another. So try to preach the prosperity gospel to the people in Afghanistan right now. Oh, you should just name it and claim it. You, you know, God wants you to have a Rolex and a new car, and God wants to give you a raise. Yeah, you tell that to people in the Afghanistan right now. You know what they're experiencing right now? Suffering and persecution. And guess what they're doing with that suffering and their persecution? They're thanking God for it. Because in the New Testament believers, that is the primary source of blessing. But you can see people all over Channel 14 and Channel 20, you know, with great $5,000 suits on and driving nice cars, telling you, if you just follow Jesus, he's going to give you that new car. He's going to give you this. And, and you just, you know, rebuke the devil. None of these bad things will happen to you. No. It's just not biblical at all. Every book of the Bible, yeah, send your 20 bucks and you'll get the blessing, right? Every book of the Bible talks about the suffering of, of God's people, especially in the New Testament. I'm not trying to proclaim doom and gloom. What I'm saying is life is hard. You're going to have cancer, miscarriages, infidelity, unemployment, you name it, your list. You're going to have all that in this life. Life is hard. You're just either going to do it with Jesus or without him. Okay? Now, do we add insult to injury by creating our own problems? Absolutely do. So don't if you get fired because you're a jerk, don't say, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you're a jerk, okay? Don't, so don't do that, okay? We, we need to be Christ-like, but realize that suffering is going to come. Don't create new problems. Life is hard enough. So let's go through the blessings on each tribe. And here's a, a map of all the tribes, okay, that you see right there. And he's going to go through the tribes here. And so he starts with Reuben, who was the oldest. And, and you look at this blessing. Do you see anything wrong with this blessing? It's pretty generic, isn't it? Hey, Reuben, guess what? You get to live. I'm not going to kill you. That's what God's saying. He's saying, in fact, in fact you're going to live, but barely. The people in your tribe aren't going to be very many because you've really messed up. Reuben, Reuben was not a good guy, okay? In Genesis 49, we go back to the story. It said, Jacob called all of his sons, gather yourselves together that I might tell you what's going to happen. Jacob's prophesying over his sons and what's going to happen. He says, Reuben, you're my firstborn you know, I'm proud of you, whatever. You, you have the might. You have the first fruits of my strength. You're preeminent in dignity. You're preeminent in power. But you are as unstable as water. You know, you put, you know, something down on the table and it stays there. You put pour water on a table, it just goes everywhere. And that was Reuben. He was all over the map. 
He was unpredictable. He was not dependable. He, he says, you shall not have preeminence anymore because you went in unto your father's bed and then you defiled it. And says, in fact, he had the nerve to go on my couch. So you say, Gary, what kind of crazy story is this? Well, let's, let's read about it here. Um, actually, let me just, I'm going to tell you the story. Sorry. Um, when Jacob went out of town, basically, Reuben's mom was Leah. So Jacob had two wives. Bible doesn't recommend that. In fact, it shows you all the trouble they had because he did that. So who was his favorite wife? Rachel. Who, was, who did he get tricked into marrying? Leah. And he didn't treat Leah well. And Reuben was Leah's son. So he's like, Dad's out of town. I'll show Dad that he can treat my mom. I'm going to go mess with one of his concubines, which is another thing that he had that shouldn't have had. So he, in his dad's bedroom, on his dad's couch, has relations with one of his dad's concubines. And dad finds out about it. And of course, he did that as a slap at his dad. So guess what? The, the blessing that Moses pronounced on him, hey, you get to live. But that's pretty much it. Um, the next son we see is uh, Judah. And he says, hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah. Bring him into his people with your hands, contend for him. Let God defend him and help him against his adversaries. But again, Judah, not a good dude, okay? Um, when, when Joseph came to his brothers and said, hey, guess what? I had a dream. I'm going to be the boss over all y'all. And they didn't like that. You know, they were jealous. And he has his coat of many colors, and he's showing that off. And Joseph, you know, we can read into the story that he was pretty cocky about it. There's no verse that says that specifically, but... The brothers get so mad, they throw him in a pit and they're like, let's just kill him. Let's just kill him. And Judah steps up and says, no, no, no. If we kill him, what do we have? Nothing. Let's sell him. And people will read that as in he's sparing Joseph's life. No, no, no. He wants some lunch money, okay? He wants more than that. He wants 30 pieces of silver. And uh, he, he wants to sell him. So they sold their brother into slavery. And it was Judah's idea. So Judah, instead of standing up for his little brother, says, hey, let's sell him. And then another time, Judah has a daughter-in-law whose his husband, her husband dies, which was Judah's son. And the right of primogenitor, complicated story here, but is basically the next in line brother should marry her to continue the offspring, to continue the family name. And that was a matter of economic survival. But we've taught on that before. So he refuses to make his son marry her to give her a son. So she's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll show you Judah. So she goes out to where she knows Judah's going to pass by and poses as a prostitute. He goes into her, and she's like, you know, since he didn't evidently have any money to pay, she's like, okay, give me some collateral. So he gave her like three pieces of uh, items of, of possessions, and then she was pregnant. So then many months pass, and they find out she's pregnant. She's not married. They bring her to Judah and say, hey, hey, you got a daughter-in-law, ex-daughter-in-law who lives in our tribe who's obviously having sex out of, out of marriage, what are you going to do to her? And he said, you, and what does the Bible say you do for adultery? Stoner. He says, you know what he says to do to her? Burn her. <laughs> wow, you talk about, why don't you tell us how you really feel, Judah? I mean, he, but is he not the biggest hypocrite in the world? And, and, he, and she says, she said, well, you know what? Let me tell you whose dad it is. And she lays out the three articles and says, find out who, what man all this belongs to. And Judah's like, Oh, dang. And you know what? But here's the good news about Judah. She says, please identify who these are. This signet, this cord, and this staff. And those were unmistakable who they could be. Didn't have, people don't go around with the same signet, cord, or staff. 
Then Judified identified and says, she's more righteous than I. He didn't say, well, she did it. She's the one that posed the problem. He said, you know what? She's more righteous than I. I did not give her my son, Sheila. And, but here's the thing. He not only talked words of repentance, he showed action. He never went near her again. He could have said, hey, can we repeat that? That was great, you know, whatever. He never went into her or anybody else again. He showed true repentance by his actions. And he says, now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of, instead of the boy. Here he shows further. You know what this story is about? So Joseph goes into slavery. We know the story. Most of us know the story there. He works his way up from a slave to the second in command in Israel, I mean, in, in Egypt. He becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. And so Joseph is wearing all the Egyptian garb and the mascara and all that stuff doesn't look recognizable. And he's talking to his brothers and they're coming here to buy food. He says, you know what? I'll give you food. You go back and you get Benjamin, your other brother, because he asked about who, how many brothers do you have? He said, go, and he knows all about this. He says, go get your other brother, bring him here. And then I'll give you some food. And Judah says, you know what? Please, if you take my dad's youngest favorite son, He's so old, he's going to die of a heart attack. Would you take me? What a turn of events. The guy who sold his brother into slavery is now willing to go into slavery for his brother. Isn't that amazing? And so Judah has really turned around. So guess what? Judah's going to get a blessing. You see, if we truly repent, God is merciful and kind enough to reopen the door of blessing. And can anybody in this room say you've been as sick as Judah? I don't think so. And by the way, we've, just, we've only covered two tribes, Reuben and Judah, and we have two losers so far, right? That's the amazing thing about the Bible. It shows you the good and the bad of every person in the Bible until it gets to Jesus, who had no bad. He was perfect. So most religions talk about how wonderful Muhammad is or how wonderful Buddha is, like they never did anything wrong. But the Bible says, no, no, we're a bunch of jerks, but we're all saved by grace. And look how we even mess up and God loves us anyway. And God, even after these horrible things that Judah has done, even even after the horrible things that Reuben has done, but Reuben, Reuben, what's the difference between Reuben and Judah? Reuben showed no sign of repentance. And that's why God says, you know what? I'm going to let you live and be thankful for just that. But hey, what? Judah, you repented. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be kind to you. And that applies to us today. Thank the Lord. So we come to the third tribe, Levi. He said, give to Levi, your Thuman and your Urim. So we're not exactly sure what these, is, these are, but we, man, I'm using bad English here today. So we're not exactly sure what these are, but the best thing we can tell, the rabbis say that there was two rocks, one black, one white, and one was the Thuman and one was the Urim. And one was basically a yes and one was a no. And so they're like, God, what do we do? What do we do? Should we go into battle? Should we not? And they were like, didn't get a clear sign from God. So they would say, okay, I'm going to reach in here. Black is yes and white is no. And they pull out the black, and they're like, okay, we're going in the battle. And the God used these as a way of speaking to his people. Um, so, uh, let's see. And then he says, in verse 9, he says, Who said of his father and mother, I regard them not, and disowned his brothers, and ignored his children. This is weird. This doesn't sound like good stuff, but let me t- I'll give you a backstory in a second. For they observed your word and kept your covenant. So here's what happened. Remember, Moses goes up to get the commandments. And he's only gone 40 days, which sounds like a long time, but then again, it's not. They just got out of slavery. They just saw the parting of the Red Sea. 
they just saw 10 miraculous plagues. They just saw a lifetime and then they saw, they, think about this, they saw more miracles than any generation has ever seen. And I would venture to say even including Jesus. Because Jesus did a lot of miracles, but they were like very individual miracles. Blind people, deaf people, whatever. Here, these were like miracles over a whole nation. Making the sun go out all day, making swarms, all these things, killing the firstborn across the nation. On a scale of um, how numerous they were, they saw the most miracles of any generation. And yet 40 days later, like, oh, let's worship another god. And they worship a golden calf. And so then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? After he just rebuked them all and everything. He said, if you're on the Lord's side, he draws a line in the sand, like, like at the Alamo, and says, you come over here to me. Out of 12 tribes, how many came? Only one. Only one. I mean, you've just been caught literally red-handed. You have a chance to repent. And Moses, who God's been using to perform all these miracles, he says, hey, I'm going to give you a second chance. If you're on God's side, even though you've just messed up, including Levi, Levi was involved, involved in all the debauchery, and he says, you got a chance to cross the line, and all of them came together, and no other tribes did. That's crazy. So then you know what, God's, what Moses says? He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, you, Levi, get your sword on your side, and everybody who helps stir up this rebellion, go kill them. Whew, that's rough. Okay, now, Deuteronomy, as we've said a hundred times, is a special book for a special people under special circumstances. This is not giving you permission to go kill everybody who didn't come to church today. Okay? So that's not what this is talking about. These are people who are at war. They need to make sure that everybody's on the same side. And so this is what, and so the, you had these guys actually kill their brothers and all that. And they just, that, when that verse says they didn't disregard their family, didn't all the brothers and sisters, they said, you know what, I'm going to stand up for God. Even if it means that we go to war, like an, almost like a, a civil war, like Confederate versus uh, Northern Army, all that stuff, they stood up. Again, a difficult passage in the Bible. Definitely a difficult passage. But it's, it's, it's history. It's what happened to the special circumstances under this situation. And what's great here is Levi, he gets seven blessings. What's the number seven mean in the Bible? It means perfection or completion. So he's like completely blessed. But Levi wasn't perfect either. Again, he just messed up like everybody else. And he's gonna mess, he also messed up in another way. We'll talk about it here in a second. But they get to teach they get to put the incense on the altar. They get to offer burnt offerings. And you say, wait, this is blessing. This sounds like work. How many of you know that teaching the word of God is like an amazing blessing? Right? Helping to lead worship is an amazing blessing. I mean, when you get to serve God, it's not work. It's like, I get to do this. I get to. And it gets the way where even setting up chairs on Sunday morning. It's a blessing. I get to do this. This is something me and my family get to do together, my friends, my brothers in Christ. And the fourth blessing is, he says, bless the Lord his substance, accept the work of his hands, crush the loins of his enemies, out, okay? And so he's going to defend them to the uttermost. And then he said, in Luke 6, 26, Jesus, I think, is echoing off of what happened here. He says, if anyone to come, hey, you want to say you're a Jesus follower? You want to say you're a Christian? You need to hate your own father and mother, your wife, your children, your brother and sister. Yes, even your own life. Wow, that's harsh, Jesus. Well, let's put that in the context. Hate here means that you prefer me over everybody else so much that the gap would almost seem like love-hate comparison. Jesus is not contradicting the Bible. The Bible says love your father and mother, obey your father and mother, love the, even love your enemies. 
So he's using the word hate here. The, the, the Greek word means to have a vast preference over. So you need to prefer me way more than anybody else in your life. Now, I love Tammy with all my heart. And I'm so thankful for the gift of a godly wife that he's given me. But I love Jesus way more. And you know who's thankful for that? Tammy is. And I'm thankful that Tammy loves Jesus a whole lot more than she loves Gary. Because that actually gives us the capacity to love each other more than we ever could if Jesus was lower on the list. So this is what Jesus is calling them to do. And this is what Moses has called them to do as well. We come to Benjamin, who was one of his father's favorites. He became the new favorite after Joseph was gone. His name means son of the right hand, the fortunate one. He was the favorite son of the favorite wife, okay? And then Rachel actually gave her life, giving birth to him. And her last breath was the name that she gave the child, which means son of my sorrow, the anguish, the pain of dying, knowing she's not going to live to raise this son. She died, she gave, she died to give life to Benjamin. Well, that's the gospel there too. But verse 12 says, Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. So Benjamin, guess what? You're going to experience safety. That God is going to surround you. And an interesting phrase here, God will dwell between his shoulders. Amazing phrase there. You know, when warriors went into battle, they often had a sword on their side, if they were right-handed. They had a shield in their left hand. But you know what they had between their shoulders? A spear. And see, the sword was for close combat. The shield was for up-close defense. But the spear could be hoisted a long ways. I mean, a good warrior could send a spear maybe 60 yards. And so this is saying, hey, Benjamin, I'm not just going to make the enemy come close to you. I'm going to let you take care of the enemy at a distance. I'm going to dwell between your shoulders. I will be your spear as well as your sword and shield. Some of the blessings he gave out in pairs. And so Zebulun and Issachar, it seemed like they liked that those two clans liked to spend a lot of time together, invite each other to each other's family reunions, I guess. And so it says, Zebulun, and you, I'm going to re rejoice in your going out, Issachar, in your tents. In other words, you come in, you go out. I'm going to make your life a blessing all the way around. And they, together, Zebulun and Issachar, shall call peoples to their mountain. These two tribes would be the most evangelistic of all the tribes. They would tell the Gentiles, hey, come worship with us. Come worship with us. Which is what Israel was supposed to do, but they didn't. You know, Jesus said, you're a city set on a hill. You don't put it under a bushel, which is what they did. They took a bushel of the law and covered up the light of the gospel and were so entrenched in keeping all these, all these extra commands that the rabbis made up. And, but it, these two tribes said, hey, people, come worship. Come with us. Offer right sacrifices. Draw from the abundance of the seas, because they were located in the waters, okay, the, the Sea of Galilee particularly, which is what it would be later be called. And then you're going to even find hidden treasures of the sand, which maybe they were archaeologists. I don't really know what all that involves. But this, this was the blessing that he gave them because of their faithfulness. And then there's Gad. And this is an interesting one. And Gad, he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad. In other words, remember the promise that Abraham was given about Israel? You bless Israel, I'll bless you. Well, God takes it another level. In fact, it, bless Israel, I'll bless you. But even more specifically, you bless Gad, I'll bless you. I'll enlarge your territory. And, and Gad crouches like a lion. So you've, we've seen kitty cats crouch, like when they're about to attack something else. But imagine from me to Patrick, a lion is doing this. I'm like, oh, man, I'm dead. <laughs> Cannot run that lion. I'm, I, this might be the last thing I see is this crouching lion. And then also, he's brutal in battle. He cuts people's arms off, which means takes away their strength. If you're right-handed and someone cuts your right arm off, it's just like you're shot. 
and their scalp. You know what scalp was done? American Indians did that some, not as much as the movies I want to tell you they did. But anyway, um, it was a thing of humiliation. It's like, I'm not only going to beat you. I'm not going to cut you right off. I'm going to take your, I'm gonna, after I kill you, I'm going to cut off your hair. And when, they, when people went around to bury their dead, and all the dead had their scalps cut off, it was like, golly, you talk about insult to injury. Gad was vicious in war. He, was, he, was, he fought hard. Um, and he chose, so he chose the best of land for himself, which sounds like it was selfish, but he was given that choice. Like, what land do you want, Gad? So he chose it. And he was given the commander's portion because he was the most fierce in battle when they fought the enemies off. And he came with the heads of the people. With Israel, he executed the justice of the Lord. So what happened here was when they got to the edge of the promised land after Moses died, three tribes said, you know what, Moses, we want to stay here. Y'all go in and, and, and take the promised land. We actually like it on this side. And I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, honestly, because when he gave the blessing to Abraham, he said all the way to the Euphrates. So maybe they're fulfilling that in a good way, or maybe they're being ungodly saying, no, we don't want the promised land. We like it here with the pagans. I don't really know which was going on, um, but these three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. So see the river going there? Manasseh on one side and half of Manasseh on the other. They said they'd stay there. And so Moses, before he died, said, okay, if you're going to do that, you know, we're going to strike this deal with, with you. Here's the deal. You still have to go in and fight alongside the other tribes and kill the enemy so you can take the land and get these people who are boiling their children alive, burning their children alive, abusing women, all these things. You need to punish them for their sins, and you get their land as a result of their punishment. You have to fight with them, and then you get to go back over to your side. And they said, deal. Now, Moses died. They could have easily said, Moses is gone. What deal? What are you talking about? I don't remember anybody saying. Well, Moses said, well, Moses isn't here. But you know what? They kept their promise, and they did what they were supposed to do. So in, in Numbers 32, 23, Moses said to them, you fight with your brothers, but here's what happens. If you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure, even if I'm dead and gone, your sin's going to find you out. Man, this is a powerful verse that all of us need to remember. Whatever you're doing in secret, whatever you think nobody else knows about, and we all have them, right? Be sure that even if you think, I'm not getting caught, I'm not getting caught, be sure your sin will find you out. Because if nobody else knows, who does? God does. And what does Galatians say? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. So this is what God, Moses warned him. Say, hey, even if I'm dead and gone, you be sure. If you don't keep your promise, it's going to come back to haunt you. And we need to keep that verse always in the back of our mind. And so now we go to the next tribe, Dan. He said Dan is like a lion's cub, which... The, mo the most we can get out of this is he's got lots of energy. You know how puppies and kittens are? Well, imagine a lion's cub. He's not got a lot of energy like a puppy or a kitten. He's got twice, ten times the strength of a puppy or a kitten. And so he's saying, you're going to be energetic. You're going to serve me. And you're going to serve me while you're young, which is a great idea, teenagers. Verse 23, Naphtali. He says, oh, Naphtali, sated, which means you're satisfied with favor, not the favor of people, but the favor of the Lord. And therefore, you'll be full of the blessing of the Lord. Man, if you get nothing else, if you're just not waking up in my sermon, and this, you don't get anything else, I want you to get this today. If God gives you favor on your life and says, I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I've got a plan for you, let that satisfy you. That, that's, that, 
anything else you get is icing on the cake. But if you know that God loves you the way you are and he wants you to grow and become like Christ and, ha and you're happy with his plan, you have everything you need right there. So then, and Asher, he said, most blessed of the sons. Asher, let him be the favorite of his brothers. Okay, so I have, a whole, I have 11 grandkids, but my oldest son, Adrian, has three sons, Asher, Alistair, and Abel. And I texted Adrian yesterday and I said, hey, we know that Asher's your favorite, but don't worry about it. It's biblical. The Bible just said, you know, make him your favorite. Okay, so Asher's the favorite. Now, that's just, don't have favorites. That's bad news. But I was just, that was a little biblical joke for, between me and my son. But it says, Asher, let him be the favorite of his brothers and dip his foot in oil. Like, what? what's that about? Well, put it in context. If you lived in West Texas and I said, you, you're walking around and your feet are soaked in oil, what am I telling you? You're rich. Okay, because in West Texas, we're talking about oil crude. But in the promised land, what are we talking about oil? We're talking about olive oil, that your vineyards would be exploding so much that you'd just be walking around in olive oil, which was very valuable uh, to them in that day. So it was basically the same of, of Texas crude oil. And it says your, your bars should be like iron, like the iron, the iron bars that you build around your, your house. It'll be, it'll be solid, you'll be safe, and you'll have strength. And it says... So what we learn from Asher, though, is be careful that you don't let the blessings of God make you become indifferent to others. Isn't that what happens? Isn't that what's happened to America? We've been so blessed. with so We are the richest nation the earth has ever known. And the poorest of the poor in America are rich by any standards anywhere else in the world. And yet what does it cause us to do? To turn our backs on God. And before we knock our country, we do it too. We do it as individuals. When everything is going great, our job's going great, our marriage is going great, our kids are the best on the soccer team, and everything's going good, and we don't have COVID, and we're just great, and we're healthy, we tend to pray more? No. We tend to pray less because we get very uncomfortable, uncomfortable, and, or comfortable and, and indifferent. Judges 5.13 says, then, here's what Asher did. When it was time to attack an enemy and go to war as a nation, it says, then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down. In other words, everybody who fought was noble for me against the mighty. And, but in verse 17, it says, And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? And Asher, he just sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. In other words, he built this boat business and had all this great fishing industry, and they were very rich, and the whole nation said, Hey, we're at war. We're being attacked. Come help us fight. And Asher's like, Oh, no, we've got too many boats out here. Y'all go fight. We'll just stay here by our wealth and the source of our wealth. And that's what wealth can do to us if we're not careful. That's why Jesus said, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel going through an eye of a needle. It's not impossible, because he goes on to say, with God, all things are, po are possible. So what's missing from this story? We just went through all the blessings of all the tribes. Is anybody, I'll be thoroughly impressed here. I don't expect anybody to know the answer, but somebody will, probably. Probably Patrick. I know Patrick has a smile on his face. So what's missing from all these? Anybody know? Not even Patrick, huh? Okay. Did you? Well, go ahead and... There you go. Simeon, Simeon is missing. And it's not like Moses is old and has dementia and just flat forgot Simeon. This is clearly intentional. Because Simeon blew it big time, never repented, and all that. We'll talk about that here in a second. But Simeon is the one that is missing. Here's why Simeon is missing. So 
Dinah, or Dina, however you want to pronounce it, was the sister of Levi and Simeon. Some, a Gentile tribe nearby saw her walking by herself. One of the young men approached her. He, he liked her, he loved her and all that stuff. And it seems like it implies there was somewhat of a relationship, but he was moving too fast and he ended up raping her. You can call it a date rape or whatever you want to call it. It was still flat wrong, okay? And so Levi and Simeon find out about this and are like, they are not going to treat our sisters like this. But then they did something really underhanded. Instead of just going to defend their sister, they go to the neighboring tribe and say, hey, you want to marry our, our sister? You love her that much? So here's what you need to do. You need to be circumcised like us. And they're like, ugh. You know, we're not little boys anymore. We're not, we're not baby boys. We're grown men. It's like, well, that's the deal. You get, you all, your whole tribe gets circumcised, then we'll let you join our tribe, and we'll let you marry our, our sister. So they did. And then the Bible says, while, while all the men were sore, they went through and killed them all with the sword. So two guys just went through, like, just slashing all these guys who were on the recovery bed and all that. Really underhanded. And it's just a gruesome story, but the Bible tells us the gross with the, the blessings, you know. And so, but here's what's interesting. We just got done reading Levi, just got all these blessings. Levi doesn't have a, a land. He was one of the tribes that didn't get any land because of what he did here. But he says, but because you repented, I'll let you serve everybody else in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple. Simeon never repented. So Moses does the worst thing he can do. He doesn't even acknowledge them. And so Simeon has to just kind of fill in where Judah doesn't have any people. And they, do, they don't get their own land. They're almost like subleasing from Judah the whole time. And so the, you see the tribe begin to dwindle away in history. But here's the blessing. In the book of Revelation, when we're all up in heaven after the rapture, out on earth, all hell is breaking loose. God's pouring out his judgment on the planet. But God raises up 144,000 Jewish young men. And I believe this is literal, okay? And he says he takes 12,000 from each of the tribes. And guess who is put back in? Simeon. So you're not going to have anything in the promised land. But guess what? You're going to lead thousands to Christ during the tribulation. God forgive. Is God not merciful? I mean, does God not bless us when we don't deserve it? He, he pours it out on us over and over again. So that brings us to the very meat of the sandwich, okay? We went through all those tribes pretty quickly, but now we see the blessing of Joseph, and this is the most important. So it says, of Joseph, he said, blessed, blessed by the Lord be his land. He gets the choices of the gifts of heaven, um, the choices of the fruits, and you could do a whole study on the choices fruits. It's all over Song of Solomon. It means a whole lot more than just great apples and, and bananas. Um, he says, with the finest produce and the everlasting hills. You see all this. You see verse after verse after verse. Joseph's blessing is longer than all of them. He's like a firstborn bull. Think about that. You're a young man, and you just got newly married, and your dad gives you a cow, a female, Okay, and it gives birth. You're hoping, boy, boy, I need a boy, I need a bull. Because what does boy a bull mean? You get to now breed, and that bull can, you know, pull a plow and all the things like that. And so, sure enough, firstborn bull, bull, hard it's for me to say. Um, and he, he basically saying, man, you, now all your wealth potential is right there. And he's saying, that's what you are, Joseph. And guess what? Is there a tribe of Joseph? No. Guess what, Joseph? Because you've been the most faithful to me. I'm going to give you two tribes named after your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Where were those two sons born? In Egypt. 
Joseph took a wife in Egypt, and he had two sons, and God says, I'm going to give you two tribes, and you're going to have two shares in the promised land. And here's the most amazing thing. The name Ephraim means fruit of my affliction. Fruit, something good that came out of affliction, something bad. Just go, just fast forward through Joseph's life. Sold into slavery by his brothers, taken away from his father, made a slave, works his way up, but then when he thinks everything in life is going good, gets falsely accused by uh, Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison, which is now worse than being a slave, and he works his way up, though, and answers the dreams for Pharaoh, becomes right-hand man, and now gets married, has two sons. And you know what Joseph says? It was worth it all. Look at what God brought me because of all that I went through. And let me tell you something. The best things that you will experience in your life will come out of the most painful things in your life. Do you hear me? You say, God, well, why would God take my child? I it's hard for me to explain. But let me tell you something. If you will trust him, he will bring greater blessings. We know of someone recently who passed away, and we found out later that they had a few miscarriages. And we realized, you know what? This woman is in heaven with her babies right now. Maybe that's what God wanted. No, trust God that the pain and suffering that you're going through, and each of us have our list, right? There's fruit that's going to come out of it if you will trust him. You know, people probably passed by the cross of Jesus and said, what a waste. What good could come from this? This guy healed people, fed thousands, did nothing but was kind and nice. Why would God allow this? And yet that right there, more has been accomplished because of the cross of Christ than anything else. So when you think suffering doesn't make sense, realize that God brought the best out of the cross. He can bring the best out of your situation. So Ephraim means fruit of my affliction. One of the great parts of the story is, though, the reason Joseph is the middle, the meat of the story, is because Joseph is a perfect picture of Jesus. Watch this here. If you know these two stories, watch how they match up. First of all, they both had a special relationship with their father, right? Who got the coat of many colors? Um, both Jesus and Joseph were hated, despised, and humiliated, even though they did nothing but good for others. They both had the promise of authority, and yet were accused of being delusional. They were both sold for money by Judah. Because you know what Judas is? It's the Greek name for Judah. Joseph was betrayed by Judah. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. It's the same person, both sold for silver. Both went down into Egypt, but both returned from up out of Egypt. Both were raised from the pit. Both lived a life of servanthood. Both resisted temptation successfully. Both were arrested and falsely accused. Both foretold the future. Both Jesus and Joseph were great counselors and were promoted to a place of honor. Both Jesus and Joseph provided food for multitudes. Both were not recognized when they saw them. Remember, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and the disciples don't know who he is. And Joseph is standing before his brothers and they don't know who he is. Both were separated from their father. Both forgave those who hurt them. And most importantly, both suffered so that others could live. Man, isn't Joseph a beautiful picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ? They both suffered. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once 
for sins. The righteous, him. The unrighteous, us. Why? Why did Jesus suffer for you? That he might bring us to God. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not on a day-by-day communication with God, your Father, you haven't been brought to him, and you haven't gone through Jesus Christ. And how did he do that? By being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. My question for you this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? This is the time in the service when I'd ask everybody to pray. So would you do that? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And the reason I ask you to do that is so that you can just block out any distractions around you. And if you know for sure that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please, please pray that that God would remove the blinders from people's eyes and would open hearts, open minds, you don't have to, you can pray for someone specifically, you can just pray in general, but pray for the lost. And if you don't know for sure you're saved, then I'm talking to you right now. Have you ever come to the point in time when you've been born again, when you realized, I am a sinner against a holy God, and I deserve punishment. I should have died on the cross. Those crown of thorns should have went into my head. That sword should have went in my side. Those nails should have been in my hands and feet. I'm the one that deserved to die, but Jesus loved me so much he took my place. Have you ever made that decision to give your life to him because he gave his life for you? You can do that right now. I I, I urge you to do that. You could reach out in prayer to the Lord, and the prayer doesn't save you, just the faith, the trusting in him, but you could verbalize it this way in your own words. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying in my place. I trust you right now for the forgiveness of all my sins, past present, and future. I give my, all of my life to you because you gave all of your life for me. I believe you died, you rose again, and that you live forever so I can live forever with you. And so I give you my life as Lord and Savior. In your name I pray. Amen. If you made that decision, please let me know. I would love to talk to you about your next steps. In fact, if you've been saved but never been scripturally baptized, I'd like to talk to you about that next step as a new believer. All right, we're going to do a question and answer session here in just a second. But before, just let me, um, I, next Sunday, you can stick around for life groups. Today, we're going to Urban Air, so I should have deleted that slide. But next Sunday, you can stick around for lunch. So let's do question and answer. Amanda, do you mind helping me? Okay. I'm guessing we probably have a lot today. <laughs> Microphone. So we may decide to leave some of it and come back. Right. So we'll okay. talk about that. Okay. But here we go. Um, if you think about it, God did take Moses' life instead of the Israelites. God was going to strike the Israelites, but Moses died when he struck the rock. That was a statement. Moses died because he struck the rock, but not when. I think that's what they mean. So, yes. Okay. That does, yeah, that's good. That's a good, that's a good very good point. So then Moses did die later, much later than the rock incident, but he didn't get there on the promised land. He did die. Good. Very good point. Good job. You guys are paying attention. <laughs> Isaiah, the, would you bring me that water back there? In the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, there seems to be a general awareness by the people of the activity of demons and their activity. In the Old Testament, it does not appear that way. We know there was demonic activity since Satan and a third of his followers were cast out of heaven. How do we not see that people in the Old Testament are cognizant of this 
and New Testament people are? Um, that's a good question. I think the premise of the question might need a little straightening up. Because, for example, Saul, remember it said an evil spirit came to him? So he asked David to play music for him to make the evil spirit go away. And then Saul also went to the witch of Endor, who conjured up spirits. And, and so there's demonic activity there. I think it, the person is right that in the New Testament it's a little more obvious. That's just because the bridegroom was there. So the demons were fearing and trebling and were more vocal. Like, hey, son of God, have nothing to do with us. So they were a little more scared because Jesus was there in the flesh. But you definitely see, while there's not as much, you do see some evidence of it in the Old Testament. But may, I think I would agree with the person that they're not as aware, but it was still there. They were somewhat aware, but not as aware. And, of course, we, we learned last week that all the, all the gods that they sacrificed, what did Moses tell them? You're not sacrificing the gods. You're sacrificing to what? Demons. So Moses made the people aware of demons. So a lesser amount, but not totally absent. All right? Keep going. Okay. If we're supposed to be constantly thinking about others and always be doing for others, where do we fit ourselves and our family into the equation? Great. So your family falls into the category of others. And, and I think that while it's not in the Bible, it is a biblical principle that charity begins where? At home. Okay? Because Paul said to Timothy, if there's anybody in your church that won't work, he said, if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. And he says, and if you don't provide for your own household, you're worse than an infidel. So you've got to take care of your own household. And then, out of your abundance, you take care of your neighbors. Okay? So you see that, that priority. Um, what's the other? Galatians 6.10. As you therefore have opportunity, let's do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. So you begin with your family, your church, then your neighborhood and community. Those concentric circles. So you do both. Okay? So I would, you would never... You would never neglect your own children to go tutor the kid down the street. You want to, do, you want to bless others out of your abundance, not to neglect your own family. Um, but then as far as yourself, so let me illustrate it this way. You fly on a plane. The flight attendant's up there giving the, the instructions that nobody's listening to, right? And she says, and when the, if, if the, the cabin decompresses, an oxygen mask will fall from the compartment above. If you, those of you with children, please put the mask on yourself first. Take a deep breath and put on the baby. That's not selfish. It's because you won't be able to help the baby if you pass out. Okay? So you take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. So I go to the gym five, six days a week. Can't you tell? Anyway, because um, <laughs> uh, I want to be around for my grandkids. I want, I'm doing that so I can pastor you as long as possible. I don't do it so that people will be wowed by my physique because that's not happening. I'm, I'm doing it so I can live longer. I don't my, the first funeral I ever performed as a pastor was my dad's. And at age 24, I said, I don't want to do this to my grandkids. I want to get in shape and eat better for the rest of my life so I can be around for my grandkids and also I can be around to minister the gospel to, to people like you. Good. Any other questions? Can you show us that move again? I'm joking. No, that's not, that wasn't. Um, it, it is what, um, did I miss it or did Moses skip Simeon and why, which you explained. I just want to make sure that I read that. Um, okay, it looks like that's actually all the questions. All right, cool. Hey, so let's stand.